0: If you take your Bibles this morning and open them to John chapter fourteen, John chapter fourteen, we'll be starting a brand new chapter. I'm going to move this over just a little bit. I had three cups of coffee this morning, but that shouldn't be too bad. But just in just in case, I get a bit uh, excited talking about heaven this morning. <laughs> um, Yes, yeah, so John, chapter fourteen. As we begin the fourteenth chapter of John, and we continue uh, to to view into the discussion that Jesus was having with his disciples on that Thursday night, or, or or Wednesday night, or Friday night, whatever night of the week it might have been, as he met with his disciples, and and uh, for the next couple chapters, it'll all be about that evening. So it all happened at at one time, uh, and so we'll continue in the fourteenth chapter, verses one through six, will be the focus of our study this morning. So. Uh, Starting with verse 1, God's inspired and inerrant word reads, Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. If I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you. To myself, that where I am... There you may be also. And you know the way where I am going. Thomas said to him, Thomas said to Jesus, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How do we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Now, Father, as we um, look at these few verses Lord, I pray that uh, you would add your blessing to them. And by the power of your Holy Spirit, would you illuminate this text for us, uh, that we know how to understand it, and we know how to apply it. Father, in those areas where uh, I'm at a loss, where we may be at a loss, uh, Father, we depend upon your Spirit uh, to illuminate our hearts and minds. So I pray in the name of Jesus, amen. The way, the way to heaven, the way to heaven. Many ask the question, uh, does everyone go to heaven? Does everyone go to heaven? And many answer the question with yes, or at least that's what's implied. At every funeral, the assumption is made that the deceased is in a better place. I spent some time this week listening to, um, secular music, listening to some secular songs that mentioned heaven, that, that talked about heaven. And there are many of them. For instance, let me just give you a few. Everyone's talking about heaven like they just can't wait to go. Saying how it's going to be so good, so beautiful. Being next to you. I ain't convinced. I don't know how heaven could be better than this. I sing that wife to my, my song to my wife don't I? Yeah, maybe not. I should maybe. And another one says that everybody wants to go to heaven, have a mansion high in the clouds. Everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to go now. Nobody wants to go now. Do you or have you ever dreamt about heaven? Has heaven ever been the focus of your mind as you think about heaven and as you sometimes dream? I'm certainly a dreamer. I'm a bit more contemplative. And, and so maybe it comes a little more natural for me. But it's always been something that's been on the focus of my mind. Heaven was always there. I don't know why. Even as a little guy, I always dreamt about heaven. I spent hours dreaming about heaven and wondering if I could only see into heaven, if I could only get a glimpse of heaven. Is heaven really there? What if I could see into heaven on one of those particular occasions? God did reveal Himself to me in a, in a certain way that has driven and guided my life for these past many, many years. It's, a, um, it's an event, it's a moment uh, that has been very impactful to me as I dream and think about heaven, about heaven, what it must be like. You know, I used to tell my mom because I I tried to explain to her. I tried to get her to see what I could see, but of course she she couldn't. And I and I realized then it was it was only for me. But I I tried to get my mom to 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 see or to 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 explain what heaven must be like to her because as a young guy that was very active, the thought of floating around on a cloud playing a harp I don't even know what what a harp sounds like. You know, I I I can't imagine that being anything that an active young guy is interested in. And so I used to tell my mom like this, and I've told the story before, but I used to always tell her, Mom, I, this is what heaven is going to be like. Um, it's, it's going to be, I'm, I'm a country boy, right? I am a mountain poor. I'm just a redneck. That's all I am. Right? I dress up accordingly, but never mind. Um, But I used to tell her about how I'd get up in the mountain. I'd say, you know, I'm going to get up in this mountain, and I'm at this beautiful cabin up in the mountain, and I'm going to look down in the valley, and there's going to be elk bugling in the valley. There's going to be trout swimming in the stream. And I used to tell her how beautiful it was going to be, and she'd be like, James, you can't talk like that. That's not what the Bible says. Well, how is the Bible, how are we supposed to explain what something like heaven must look like. There's another song that I came across that, that maybe is in the same vein as, as I was thinking, and it goes like this. When I get to where I'm going on the far side of the sky, the first thing I'm going to do is spread my wings and fly. I'm going to land beside the lion and run my fingers through his mane where I might find out what it's like to ride a drop of rain. I think they might be onto something there. As we think about creation, look at the snow. Can you believe this snow is under the same curse we're under? Can you imagine what a perfect snowstorm is going to look like? Can you imagine what the perfect ocean would look like? The perfect beach, if that's your thing, would look like? Can you imagine what the perfect mountains would look like? Can you imagine what a perfect you (laughs) will look like? That's heaven. Randy Alcorn, in his book on heaven... He has this to say, Satan need not convince us that heaven doesn't exist. He need only convince us that heaven is a place of boring, unearthly existence. If we believe that lie, we'll be robbed of our joy and anticipation. And we'll set our minds on things of the earth, the things of the life here and the now, instead of the next. Instead of the next. I think those are some thoughts we could ponder on for the rest of the day. Um, But does everyone go to heaven? The question maybe that we should ask is is not necessarily does, does everyone go to heaven, but maybe we should ask the question, does anyone go to hell, right? That's the question we need to ask also, right along with the question of does everyone go to heaven? I mean, if yes, then how or why? If no, then what is hell? Is there such a place as hell? If those are the two options for us, heaven or hell, then what determines a person's destination when life as we know it is over? It's over. But, but I want to stay on the positive side of things this morning. And so I want to assume that all of us here or, or those of you at home that may be watching, that you all want to go to heaven, Right? be it today or be it tomorrow or, or whatever, I think it's fair to assume that we all want to go to heaven no matter what we believe. If we believe there is a life after life, if we believe there is life after death, I think our, our thought would be that we want to go to heaven. And so today's title of this little sermon here is The Way to Heaven. Now, the Way to Heaven, simple enough. And from our text here this morning, I, I want you to notice, and we will notice, Uh, The charge. The charge, the commitment, the confession, or the confusion, and then finally the confirmation. The charge, the commitment, the confusion, and then the confirmation. That's where we're going to go this morning as we journey through this text here. We're going to start with the charge. The charge, and we see it in verse 1. See it? Look at your Bibles. I want you to notice it with me. In verse 1 it says, Do not. Starts out in the negative, Jesus does. Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. Do not let your heart be troubled. Okay, Jesus, not really all that helpful. Right? I mean, don't you love it when, when you're feeling a bit anxious? And I can be an anxious person. Um, but don't, don't you find it to be really helpful when you're all worried about something, you're all anxious about something, or you're trying to make some of these big decisions in your life and, oh, don't worry about it. Seriously. Not helpful at all. And I could imagine the disciples of Jesus and you can, the context, I've already painted the picture of the context we're in over the past few weeks. And Jesus saying, ah, come on, fellas. Don't let your heart be troubled. Trouble is just to, to cause a, a turmoil within sight. Is to is to stir up. It's to throw into confusion. Certainly, these guys must have been confusion. Must have been confused. I mean, uh, uh, elsewhere that we you know just to help us to um, understand uh, and to and to build what this this word trouble and and what the guys must have been thinking. We have it a little bit earlier. I think in John chapter five. We looked at the pool of Bethesda, and there was a guy sitting beside the pool for 30-some for years, I think the Bible tells us. And he, he wanted to go to the pool, and at certain times of the year, an angel would come down and stir up the waters. That's the same word. It's to, to ripple the waters, and at that time, you could hurry up and get in the pool, then you could be, be healed. And of course, the guy couldn't get there. But that, that's, a, that's a sense of it. And elsewhere, uh, when, when Paul was out there uh, evangelizing, and it was at the church at Thessalonica, and as he was there in Acts chapter 17, it says that a, a mob was worked up. A mob took to the streets in protest, and they stirred up the crowd. They stirred up the crowd. See, there, there's nothing calming or nothing reassuring about, do not let your heart be troubled, or about being troubled. There's something there a little bit later in our text. We'll get there probably in two weeks in the 27th verse, where it also says these same words in the 27th verse of verse of chapter 14. Do not let your heart be troubled. But then Jesus adds another little phrase, and he says that, nor, nor let it be fearful. So don't let your heart be troubled. Don't let your heart be fearful. He adds that little phrase to it. And of course, nor let it, of course, what is the it? Of course, is the heart. So don't let your heart be troubled and don't let you, your heart be fearful inside. Peter said the same words and he said, but don't, you know, don't, don't fear intimidation as a Christian and as you live your Christian life. Don't fear intimidation and don't be troubled. All throughout God's word, we are told to not fear and don't be don't be troubled. When the disciples seen Jesus walking on the water, <laughs> they were fear. They cried out in fear. See, fear is just a lack of courage, right? That's all it is. It's a lack of courage, or maybe a little bit of a stronger sense is to be cowardly, right? And that's why you see all these guys with their souped up, jacked up trucks, and they got this little sign, "No fear." Well, if you gotta tell everyone no fear, then you probably are not so, anyways, you probably you probably well. So so we wanna tell ourselves, we want to trick ourselves and say, no, I'm not afraid of anything. I'm not afraid of anything. You know, it reminds me of back when my days of fishing when uh fear and ignorance and you know get those confused at times. Um and I used to run out across Lake Erie in my in my little bass boat, which you know was twenty foot or so, and and huge waves, eight-foot waves. I mean, they would be rolling, they wouldn't really break, but they'd be rolling. And so you had to surf them with your boat. And I'd run across, it was 26 miles to Canada, and I'd run over to Canada. Peely Island was the name over there where I used to love the fish. And uh and one guy told me, because ah, I'm not afraid, I'm not afraid, I'll go out in that weather, and I would. I went out and I did have to spend the night over there one time. I couldn't get back across, but nonetheless, and and an old guy told me, James. There's bold fishermen on Lake Erie and there's old fishermen on Lake Erie, but there's no old bold fishermen on Lake Erie. There's a lot of wisdom to that. And so sometimes we can confuse fear with, you know, with, with uh, doing whatever we want, right? And not being so smart about some of those things. But nonetheless, back in our text here today, Jesus tells these guys, guys, don't let your heart be troubled. Don't let your heart... And be troubled. But how could they not be, right? Why was their heart troubled? Why was Jesus telling them, don't let your heart be troubled? Well, let's just run down a little bit of a list really quickly. Well, first they saw Jesus' heart was troubled, right? In, thir- in, in the chapter prior where Jesus all of a sudden knew that now the betrayer was going to come and it says that Jesus was troubled, Right? So, wait a minute, Jesus, we've seen you wrestling, right? We've seen you a bit troubled, and now you're telling us not to be troubled? And then Jesus says, there's a traitor in your midst. How could they not be troubled? And then Judas just disappears. How could they not be troubled? And then Jesus says, oh, yeah, guys, I'm leaving. I know things are getting a bit tense, so I'm, I'm checking out. And you can't come with me. Oh, but guys, don't be troubled. Don't be troubled. And then, and then Jesus tells Peter, right? Peter, you're not gonna lay down your life for me. In fact, not only are you not gonna lay down your life for me, you're gonna deny me not once, not twice, but three times. Don't let your heart be troubled. Peter, if you think of if you think of an of an engine, Peter was the spark, right? He, he, he was the combi- he, he, he's the one who fired up the engine Of course it was out of control and I think John kind of had to control things a little bit. but here was the energy. Here was the guy who had no fear. <laughs> sometimes he should have had maybe a little more fear. I mean here was the brave guy he was the he was the guy who who cheered on the group. He was a ringleader if you will and Jesus says, Peter, you're not going to lay down your life for me you're actually going to deny. Me, How how are they not supposed to be troubled? Don't let your heart be troubled, Jesus says. But only believe. Right? Only believe. And we're told that too, aren't we? Right along with don't be anxious, but just believe. Just have faith. Well, Well, that's true. We must. And we need to. But it's not always that helpful to hear in the moment. And it is the charge that Jesus is giving the guys here and giving it to us today by way of inspiration, and that is, we too must not let our heart be troubled. We too believe in God, and we too must believe in Jesus. R.C. Ryle puts it like this. He says, faith in Christ is the truest remedy for trouble of the heart. Faith in Christ is the truest remedy for trouble of the heart. We know that, but it can be challenging, challenging to believe it. We see two believes in the first verse. One's an indicative and one's in the imperative. In the indicative, it says, believe in God. Well, it's, it's, it's you believe in God. That's what it's saying. Jesus is acknowledging that, no, no, you do believe in God. Some would see it see it other ways, that Jesus is challenging them to believe in God. But I think throughout the, the biblical text, we see that that would probably be a misunderstanding. It's that, no, they did believe in God. They, they did have faith in Yahweh. They did believe the God of the Old Testament. And Jesus acknowledges that and affirms that in them and says, you do believe in God. Therefore, we could add that little word, therefore, believe also in me, right? Now, why should they believe in in, in Jesus? Again, look at what came prior when Jesus said, I and the Father are one. Jesus said, who has seen me has seen the Father. See, faith with Jesus equals faith with God. That's what Jesus is implying. Faith with in God equals faith in in me because the Father and I are one and the same. Some in our some in our world today would like to, to to not acknowledge Jesus as God. Some in our world today would like to, and those who identify as Christians would like to say, no, no, no. Jesus never really said he was, was was God. Jesus never acknowledged that him and the Father are equal. All the way through God's word, we see that he indeed does, and that's what he's telling them: believe in God, believe also in me. He, 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 he who hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life, Jesus says. He says, he who believes me believes him who sent me. This is just in John of, of, of what we've studied so far. So out throughout this whole gospel of John, we see that Jesus certainly is making the claim that him and the father are one. And therefore, coming back to our charge here today, Jesus says, don't be troubled. You do believe in God, and I affirm you in that. Therefore, believe also in me, because as I've showed you over and over in these past three years, the Father and I are one. So you have not seen, you see me now, but when you don't see me anymore, just like you don't see the Father, continue and keep on believing in me. Many today say that you can't prove there is a God, right? I mean, you yourself at times maybe wrestle with that a little bit. God, if I could just see you, right? If you could just reveal yourself to me. Well, he has, and he does. Just two very simple ways that he does it every single day. We've already talked about the one, and that is through the created world. I mean, you may not acknowledge or identify that as Yahweh, that is Jesus, the Messiah, but you can certainly see that there there had to be some some creator. And also through the conscience of our mind. Who, who, who put morality into your mind? Now morality can certainly be a fluid thing if it's not given direction. If it's not given a, a, a framework to work within. But, but why, why why do we have a conscience? Where does it come from? Why did we evolve, if that's where you want to go with it, to evolve with a conscience when the rest of the evolutionary world has not. So those are just two simple simple ways that God has revealed Himself to everyone. It's general knowledge, it's general grace, it's general knowledge given to everyone. As we reflect upon that, we certainly have to acknowledge that there had to be a de- divine creator, right? Had to be. Who is He? What does He look like? How do we find Him? Those are the questions that um, may lead from those two uh, quite obvious observations about how God reveals Himself to us, but, but belief must go beyond a theological belief. Right? It must go beyond a theological belief. We can get there theologically at times in our minds, but it must be a heart. Belief is a heart condition. It is a heart condition. So in verse 1, we see the charge that Jesus has given. The fellows, do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God and believe also in me. Now, if he was just going to stop right there, well, maybe that would be enough. Maybe that would not be enough. But in verses two to three, we see the commitment, the commitment that Jesus has given the guys. I gave you the charge. This is what you're supposed to do. Now let me commit to you. Let me commit to you. Verses two to three in my father's house, are many dwelling places, or as you've probably memorized this, if you went to Sunday school as a, as a little tight, right? <laughs> In my father's house are many mansions. In my father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. If I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. This is the commitment that Jesus is making to the followers who don't trouble, who don't worry, who believe in Jesus. This is the commitment that Jesus now makes. In my Father's house. The Father has a house. I did not know he was in a real estate business, but evidently he is. In my Father's house are many rooms, are many mansions. Um, the psalmist says in 23 verse 6, I will dwell in the house of Yahweh forever. I will dwell in the house of God. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever, forever. Where is the Father's house? Right? Isn't that the question, right? That's the question that I wrestled with as a little guy. Where is heaven? Everybody says it's up there. What? what how, where is heaven? Where is the Father's house? It's a fair question. Luke chapter 2, verse 49, when Jesus was a little guy, Jesus was in the temple, right? And he was left at the temple because he was talking with all the the smart guys. And the parents came to find Jesus, said, Jesus, what are you doing? And Jesus says, didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? Had to be in my father's house. Then Jesus, as Jesus got older and as he went to the Jerusalem right before the story that is here before us. And Jesus cleansed out the temple and said, hey, 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 don't make my father's house a place of business. So as a little guy and as an older guy, both times Jesus equated the temple with the house. So is the house of God. Is that the temple? Is that the church building? I mean, certainly we're we're raised and we're taught. Uh, Maybe maybe some more extreme than than others to have reverence for this building right here. And some would like to take God's house or, or this church building and they want to make it look very nice. And others say, no, no, no. We need to be very careful. God gave us responsibility with our finances. We don't want to put a whole lot of money in God's house, but we will in ours. Never mind. That's another topic. Right. So how do we view some of these things? Right? And so is this really what Jesus is saying? Is this God's house? And well, you know it's not. So the house of God, where is it? Well, John chapter 2, Jesus also told the Jewish people, the, the self-righteous religious people, Jesus said, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up again. Ha! Ha, now we know you have a demon or something like that, they probably said, because it has taken decades to build this house. They certainly took Jesus literally talking about the temple there, but of course, he was talking about his body. And Paul, later on, jumping way ahead in history a little bit, Paul said in Corinthians, he said that, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Do you not know that your your body is the temple? The Holy Spirit lives within you, Paul says later, if indeed you are a Christian if indeed you are a follower of Christ. There's no Christian without the Holy Spirit living within the body. The two aren't separate. They're one and the same, as some would like to teach differently, but you cannot biblically make the case for that. Paul says, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? In my Father's house are many dwelling places, or many mansions as many people view it as or look at it as, as, as mansions. Um, but it's only used here, that particular word, and it's also used in the in the 23rd verse of our chapter, where Jesus said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and the father will love him, and I, and, and we will come and we will make our abode with him, in him. It's the, it's the same, the same word here. In Hebrews chapter 13, it says, For we here do not have a lasting city, but we are looking forward to a city to come. House, city, how do we define heaven? Can we narrowly define heaven as just this as just particular location in the particular place? And some like to go to the extremes and they like to say, they like to say that, well, they the the size of heaven, and they like to, how can all these people fit into that heaven? You know, it's your interesting thought as a footnote. As I take a sharp dog leg, when you think about how many people are in heaven. Yeah, you know, I I noticed, and you might have too that uh this past Uh, month, the anniversary of Roe v. Wade, 1973. 61 million babies have been killed since Roe v. Wade. And the current administration would like to make it even easier. But the confidence and the hope that we have as Christian people, that there is life after death, that every single one of those little babies has a room in God's condo. Right? How big is heaven? Can we define heaven? Can we narrowly define it? I'm not so sure that we can. Again, quoting J.C. Rowell, he says this, Our Lord's intention seems to be to comfort his disciples by the thought that, that nothing could cast them out of the heavenly house. They might be left alone by him on earth. They might be even cast out of the Jewish church and find no resting place or refuge on earth. But there would always be room enough for them in heaven in a house from which they would never be expelled. Fear not. There is room enough in heaven. Fear enough. Isn't that beautiful? The way to heaven. Way to heaven. Well, Jesus, from the commitment, gives us four. I'll tell you the truth. I'm preparing a place for you. I will return for you. Therefore, you will always be with me. These are the four commitments that Jesus gives us. Those are pretty good commitments that we might put into our own practice, in our own life, at least the first one, I will tell you the truth, right? Jesus says, I'll tell you the truth. I'm preparing a place for you. I'll return for you, and you'll always always be together. This is the commitment that Jesus gives his disciples after giving them the charge. Next is the confusion. We see the confusion in verse 4 and 5. Jesus says, and you know the way where I'm going. And Thomas, the realist of the bunch, says, excuse me, Jesus, Um, not entirely true. Or help me clarify this. Or we don't know where you're going. I mean, therefore, right? Not rocket science here. If we don't know where you're going, how do we know the way? There's there's legitimate confusion that is found here in verse 4 or in verse 5. But first, in verse, verse 4, Jesus says, And you know the, the way where I am going. Again, we must look back in what came prior to this. Over and over, Jesus told the guys. He told them the plan. He who believes in the Son has eternal life. But he who does not obey the Son will not see life. Everyone who believe, beholds the Son and believes in Him will have eternal life. And Jesus says, I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Those are vague ways of speaking, though. But Jesus says, I I am the door. What's the door? What's the door to anything? What's the door to the house, right? It it just allows entrance into that building, into that facility. That is the way in. It's through the door. And he says, if anyone enters... There's a conditional clause to it, right? If anyone enters through me, through that door, he will be saved. He'll go in, he'll find pasture. Well, I don't know about you, but pastures are told they're pastured at times. Or pastured, pasture, never mind. Pasture joke. Um, but, you know, we might think of it as a retirement, right? Or we might think of when I retire, I'm going to have a condo on the ocean or I'm going to have a cabin in the mountains. We can, I think we can safely plug those words into into Jesus' mouth here when He says that we'll go in and out and find pasture. It's that place of comfort, that place of of assurance, right? It's the heaven. It's it's the resting the resting place. Jesus said, "If anyone serves me, he must follow. He must follow. You must follow." See, there's again we see this this condition that's attached to us. You want to go to heaven? You must follow Jesus. You want to go to heaven? You must follow Jesus. Don't follow Jesus. Evidently, the negative could be said. Then you don't go to heaven. That seems pretty straightforward here. And that's what Jesus is saying. You know the way. We've been through this, guys. Have you been, have you been sleeping in class? <laughs> right? Can you just imagine if you try to, you know, um, try to lighten it up a bit as you think of what this conversation must have been like? But, but Thomas, he is the realist and he says, but, but Jesus. We do not know where you're going. How do we know the way? How do we know the way? Thomas is always the realist of the bunch. You know, he said it before too, did he not? After the pool of Bethesda, and they were looking to do away with Jesus, and Jesus said, well, Lazarus is dying, so we better go down to Judea. And Thomas, again, the realist, says, Jesus, they are trying to kill you. I know where you're trying to go, but we can't go there. Jesus says, nope, I'm going. Thomas, is like, well, might as well go and die with you. See, it's not that Thomas didn't lack courage. It's not that Thomas was, was fearful if he, if he understood the, the destination. He's proven himself. And again, after the resurrection of Jesus, when Jesus revealed himself to the guys and Thomas wasn't there and they told him that, oh, you missed out, Thomas says, well, I'm not going to believe you guys. I mean, unless I see it with my own eyes, unless I, unless I feel the spot in his with the hands pierced, with the nails pierce his hand, the sword pierced his side. Uh, I'm just, I'm just not going to believe. See, Thomas, Thomas is a realist and that's all he's doing here today. So you see the confusion. You can call it confusion or maybe another word uh, would be clarification. That's another C word. I could have plugged that word in there. Clarification. Thomas is seeking clarification. And Jesus gives it to him. Verse six. It's the confirmation. Jesus wants to confirm some of these things that they already knew. See, they're asking questions. They're seeking, they're struggling, they're wrestling and trying to understand. And as you walk through these few verses, you can kind of follow the logic, right? And it gets right down to the end and Jesus wants to confirm them. Guys, we've been through this before and I know you need some reassurance, but let me tell you one more time, verse six, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father's house. No one shows up at his condo, his cabin, whatever it may be, his mansion in the sky, your room in the Father's house. Whatever terminology you want to put there, I certainly don't want to play too loose with the text for us to think it. Jesus says, I'm the way. I'm it. That's me. It's the confirmation. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father, but through me. It's the only way. It's all exclusive, is it not? There is only one way, and that is through Jesus. He tells us the truth. He says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Outside of me, you won't find heaven. There's not multiple ways up the mountains. There's not multiple gods, however you see it, however you understand it. Not according to God's word, not according to to the biblical text. That's what I'm working with this morning. You can work with some other texts. You might find some other ways. Then you ultimately need to decide what is the truth. Right? And Jesus is saying, here it is. And I've proven it. And I've proven it by laying down my life for you and rising again. After the death of his four-year-old son, Eric Clapton wrote this song called Tears in Heaven. And in it, in it he says this, time can bring me down. Time can bring you down. Time can bend your knees. Time can break your heart having you begging, please. Beyond the door, there's peace, I'm sure. And I know that there'll be no more tears in heaven. No more tears in heaven. Jesus says, I am the door. I am the way. I am the truth. Jesus says, I am the door to the Father's house. I am the door to heaven. I am the door to that peace you are looking for. The only thing holding you back, the only lock on that door, if you will, is our unbelief. That is it. The way to heaven? Believe in God. Believe in Jesus. Follow Jesus. Jesus has given his life on your behalf and on my behalf. He's done his part. He's done his work. He shed his blood on the cross for you and for I. He's taken the penalty that we are due. There's no one who's born perfect. We all need to find that peace. We all need to find that peace. Jesus says, I'm the only way. You must only believe and follow. So simple and yet so hard. The exclusive message of the gospel is offensive to so many. There is no way to heaven if you're offended by that gospel message. So I pray this morning as we come to the Lord's table, it's quite fitting that this text should find us here. And this text here this, or this uh, Lord's table this morning is just between you and God. I would certainly be the last person you would look to for access to the Lord's table. It is God Himself that gives. It It is between you and God. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're welcome. That's between you and God. Everyone's welcome to come to the table. But I pray as you come, maybe you would view it a bit differently this morning. Maybe more memorable. Maybe more meaningful to you this morning as you think over the past year. Maybe the year that's ahead. Maybe the troubles and the struggles that we have in life. Hey, let's not focus on the here and the now. The here and the now has left us down, let us down plenty of times. Our focus must be on the on the hereafter. Let us pray. Lord, I, I pray that as we come to your table, Father, there's room at your table. There's many many boards that can be added to your table if you will as there's more in the closet, bring them on out and extend the table. Father, all we need to do is come through that door. You're the door. all we have to do is believe. So I pray, Lord, as as um, these words come out this morning and uh, wherever they filter, wherever they float away to, Lord, uh, may you correct those that are inaccurate and may you place them in our ears exactly what we need to hear. But Father, I do pray that we would search our hearts and our minds as we understand and as we realize the simplistic message of the gospel and yet. So difficult, so hard. We give you thanks for doing what we could not do for ourselves. We pray in the name of Jesus, amen.